everyone, it's Saturday, October 24th, 2020, and you're listening to an episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I am your host, Brett Eisenlake, and I'm here to talk to you about car news, car culture, and car whatever. Today's episode is, well, it's an episode. Uh, I figured it's as good a time as ever to uh, revisit some of the stuff that's come out about the Hummer EV uh, since the news dropped earlier this week. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Ford Bronco, now that pricing and configurators and all those other things are fully available. I wanted to talk about the Defender 110, which just won Motor Trend's SUV of the year, Uh, and I think that's about it. So, anyway, kicking things off from the top, uh, hey, there's a Hummer EV. Have you not heard about it? Hummer pulled the wraps off the Hummer EV, I think it was, what, Tuesday? And uh, the internet really kind of seemed to pull in two different directions on this. On the one hand, uh, it's an excessively large, excessively powerful, and excessively expensive vehicle uh, for a market that really doesn't exist yet. On the other hand, it is a tour de force of engineering, design. Uh, GM really seems to have pulled out all the stops on this vehicle and... At the very least, it's very cool. So uh, what can we kind of glean from this now a few days later? Well, there was a story uh, that kicked around on the internet saying that General Motors did not have an actual working prototype of the vehicle. Uh, It appears that that's not 100% the case. Um, They do have a prototype that is a non-moving prototype. So essentially, it's the uh, vehicle that we saw in the commercials and trailers uh, that can be rolled around and do different things, uh, but it doesn't seem like it's a fully functional one. Uh, some of the auto journalists who got to see it up close and personal, uh, you know, can attest to that is it is a real thing. It's indicative of what they would like to do, um, but we don't really know for sure what exactly that is going to turn into. Uh, this Hummer is supposed to be here kind of sort of at the end of 2020. One on into 2022. Uh, it is technically, I think, a 2023 model year vehicle. Um, yeah, it's really confusing how GM's trying to do this. Uh, the other thing that GM wasn't super clear on to start, at least the, the, the vehicle in the commercials and the vehicle that we were seeing in a lot of press photos and that they were discussing with, you know, a 1,000 horsepower and 11,500 pound-feet of torque uh, is the first edition Hummer. Uh, this is the launch vehicle with all the special stuff. Think the same way that Lucid has got. It's a very special version of the Air with, you know, a 1,000 horsepower and whatever else. Uh, this is uh, GMC doing the same kind of thing with this Hummer. And there actually will be a price attached to that, which is just over $112,000, which is, of course, pretty much unattainable. And apparently they've already sold out. Uh, GMC is going to be selling probably as many of these as they can, although I would certainly expect to some extent that, you know, some orders will slide off and other things. But it really sounds like they're focused on this high-performance model first. Uh, It does sound like a lot of the numbers that they're doing are moving targets. They're not officially official. Uh, But, you know, GM being GM, they don't tend to fudge the numbers a whole lot when they talk about some of these kinds of things. Uh, You know, I 
I think of the Chevrolet Bolt and the Chevrolet Volt, really the two cars that are probably closest to this in terms of anything that they've ever built before. Uh, they missed the mark on the Volt with initial electric range at the start when the first car came out, the one that I have. Uh, the Bolt was pretty much bang on from the start with what they were planning on doing. And in the end, you know, I think GM really seems to know what they're doing when it comes to electric vehicles. They have really been the only company that's been building electric cars on and off for more than 20 years. They they probably are further ahead than what a lot of people are thinking. I'm seeing a lot of negative sentiment on car Twitter, uh, talking about how, you know, GM's just throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. But, you know, I really genuinely believe that they've got the know-how, they've got, you know, a pretty good understanding of what these motors can put out, what these batteries can put out. I think it's just really a matter of time uh, until, you know, we've got the batteries available, the motors available, all that kind of stuff, and then we'll actually see some of these Hummers out in the wild. Uh, the other thing is that they did announce some of the lower trim packages. Uh, they're doing kind of a weird numbered series of uh, trim. So there's like a Hummer EV1. That version starts, uh, what is it, just over or just under $80,000. Uh, that vehicle has a single rear mounted motor. So it's essentially a rear wheel drive pickup truck. It's still going to be very usable. It's still going to have, you know, I think it's 250 plus miles of electric range. It's still going to have like 400 horsepower. Uh, it's going to be a Hummer that's going to look the part and do enough to do the things. What doesn't seem exactly clear is that if it's going to have four-wheel drive or not. Um, apparently these Hummers do have some kind of center differential type thing. So I'm wondering if that rear-mounted electric motor somehow can send power to the front through some kind of mechanical connection. Uh, that seems to be some kind of weird thing. Um, it's not entirely clear, and I think we'll find out a lot more about that as things go on. There is a Hummer EV2 that has a dual motor setup, front and rear. Probably that's going to be the, uh, what do you want to call it, the, the more off-roady compared to the one. Uh, then there's a Hummer EV3, uh, which has three electric motors. So that's one at the front and I think two at the rear. Um, and those two at the rear can actuate either side of the rear wheels. Again, they've said that they have a transfer case. So I don't really know how all this is going to work. It's very confusing. Um, unless the, by quote-unquote having a transfer case, in air quotes that I'm doing that you can't see, um, it's just some kind of reduction gear on the motors that lets them turn really efficiently at low speeds uh, to produce as much torque as possible. Um, that could be some kind of a thing. Uh, I do want to fathom a guess here uh, that the Hummer EV1 with the single rear motor is probably going to be a pretty good indication of where the first Silverado or Sierra EV will be at. Um, like I said, it's got about 400-ish horsepower. Uh, it's got about a 250-mile uh, range capacity. They weren't very clear on towing uh, or hauling capabilities. I would imagine that 250 miles of range disappears awfully quick. Um, but I do, if I remember correctly, I don't have it all in front of me. I'm, I apologize. Uh, that particular model has a charging capacity of somewhere, I think it's like 200 kilowatt hours or something like that. It's pretty 
pretty fast. It, it exceeds what most chargers are capable of doing these days. Um, so in theory, you could probably pull that Hummer up to, you know, a fast charger through EVgo or Electrify America and go from zero to 80% charge in probably less than an hour. Uh, so that's not a bad way to go, especially if you're hauling and towing. The only problem is, is that as we've seen with TFL and the tests that they've done with their Model X, towing and hauling really eats away at a lot of mileage quickly. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of gains GM has in terms of motor efficiency, battery performance, uh, so on and so forth, uh, once this thing finally comes to fruition. Uh, going back up to the bigger models, I think it's the Hummer EV3 is the one that gets all the gizmos and doodads. So that one's got, I think it's like north of 800 horsepower. It doesn't have quite as much as the launch edition model, um, but that one will have the full 800 kilowatt hour uh, juice sucker downer. So that one, again, exceeds what most fast chargers are here in the United States right now. Um, that's more power than what Porsche can suck down with the Taycan. Uh, this thing's going to charge from zero to hundred percent in probably a little over an hour, uh, which is mind bendingly crazy. Uh, I think the top trim version has over 350 miles of electric range, if I remember correctly. So it's going to have a pretty fucking big battery. Uh, but I'm, I'm interested to see where these numbers end up landing at. And I'm interested to see too, how much this vehicle kind of pulls GM in a given direction in terms of development. Because keep in mind, Cadillac also showed off an Ultium car just a few short months ago. Uh, they, they showed off their new electric, what is it, the Lyric crossover? I get mixed up with which one it is because all the names sound the same. It's either the, the, the Lyric or the Celestique or whatever the hell it is. Anyway, Cadillac showed off their thing. It got some fairly positive press. I think people are interested, in, again, for the batteries and the motors. But given the overwhelmingly positive response that this Hummer got, uh, I have to imagine that GM is going to be shoveling cash into this you know, engine as fast as they can to make sure that this thing hits the street as close to on time as possible, delivers on range, delivers on performance, and ultimately you know, exceeds a lot of people's expectations. The other big comparison to kind of take from what's going on with the Hummer is that compared to the Rivian R1T and the Tesla Cybertruck and the figures that they have been kind of sprinkling out in front of people and kind of guesstimating on uh, is that the Hummer is going to be about $10,000 more to start uh, with its base trim model versus that of the Cybertruck uh, and the R1T. We still don't know what exactly the electric F-150 is going to be. I think that is a very fair guess to assume that the electric F-150 is going to be significantly cheaper than most of the competition, and I believe the electric F-150 is using some parts knowledge from Rivian given their relationship with Ford, but uh, they might also be going about it on their own with what they've done with the Mach-E and all that kind of stuff. Nevertheless, uh, the Hummer, you know, it paints a very interesting picture of itself because, you know, for only a couple of grand more, you can get the dual motor thing, which is what you're probably going to want to get. It's going to have more mileage, mileage, but it's still going to be 10, 15 grand more expensive uh, than the baseline Rivian or Cybertruck. And there's still not a whole lot of, I'm going to use the words, real uh, details about the Cybertruck. So I would 
not exactly be taking Tesla at their word in terms of pricing, performance, quality, yada, yada, yada. Uh, I still don't think the vehicle that they showed off is going to be anywhere close to what this thing looks like once it hits production. Um, so that, I think, is kind of one you can also push to the side a little bit, like the electric F-150. Really, it kind of comes down to Rivian and GMC. And GMC, you know, they're talking a big game. I think GM, on the whole, knows how to walk the walk. I have zero doubts in my mind that the Hummer will deliver what they've been saying. Whether or not it hits the street date on time, I think I could see it getting pushed back at least six months, if not a year, um, just because, you know, they want to make sure that this thing is right out the door and that they do not fuck it up because they're going into a very competitive segment. And with a vehicle that could be a class leader, um, it would be a disaster if things were messy. Um, but Rivian, on the other hand, you know, uh, they are taking things very slowly. And uh, the guys on TFL talked about how they think it's kind of concerning that we haven't seen a whole lot from Rivian uh, in a while. That being said, apparently they have rolled several vehicles off their production line in normal Illinois. Uh, they are pre-production vehicles. They've been testing them and beating them. They just had one in the Rebel Rally that did pretty well, and that is incredibly exciting uh, that the vehicle did perform while it was out there. But, you know... I guess for me, my money's still on Rivian to make the thing that people expect it to be and want it to be and perform as it should. Uh, they they have sowed no seeds of doubt in any stretch of measure, and them taking a little bit longer, I think, is a good indication of things to come. Um, but, you know, I, I think the king of the hill, ultimately, in terms of crazy electric pickup trucks, is going to be this, this Hummer by GMC for quite a long time now shifting gears a bit uh and you know in a, to a vehicle that you can actually shift your own gears in uh the ford bronco has uh well it's launched onto the internet uh with its own configurator uh and for the last couple of days the configurator has been so busy that you have had to basically queue in a line to be able to build your own uh the great news is that the bronco is relatively affordable uh in base trims i think it starts right around 38 grand or so which you know is not nothing it's a little more expensive than a jeep uh but i'd expect that bronco to probably be built a little bit better and be a little more civilized uh, you can't get it as a two-door or a four-door and uh i took some time you know bouncing around inside the configurator and if you really want to save a lot of money and just get a nice basic off-roader you know you can do so for right around 40 grand and that seems like an absolute steal uh in the market these days because 40 grand is about the going rate for most uh pickup trucks nice crossovers you know nice lower end suvs uh ford really seem to hit the sweet spot and they really don't seem like they're price gouging you in any way shape or form for a lot of what i think are super important you know accessories things like heated seats here's a thing Heated seats are probably the most important option to me out of anything on any package going down the list. Uh, heated seats are bundled in a group uh, that I think it's like $1,500 for the option package. It's a little bit less than that. Um, but, it, you know, it gets you the heated seats. It gets you the the the, the auto start. It gets you the, um, you know, the upgraded sync for system that you can plug your phone into and use, uh, you know, navigation from your phone. 
all in all, you know, a great value package that I think is probably going to be on almost every Bronco uh, that rolls off the assembly line. The only problem I have with that mid package, as they call it, uh, is that you cannot get it with a stick. That's very weird. And I think it's because of the Ford uh, Copilot 360 system. I, that's the system that has the uh, automated safety thing. And I think it also includes the uh, radar cruise control. Um, I just don't think it works with a stick. They haven't quite... I don't want to say they haven't figured it out, but it's not like Toyota where it only works at certain speeds and certain gears of the gearbox uh, like they do it on the Corolla. Uh, instead, you know, Ford's making it just with the automatic, which probably is the way to go. Um, what is interesting is that, at least to me, I don't really feel like Ford has done a super great job describing the differences of the trim packages. Uh, the base model is pretty clear what it is. Everything's stripped out. It's got the super basic, you know, interior bits. Um, you know, there's not a lot of really interesting options you could put it. I mean, you could make it a super crazy off-roader with the Sasquatch pack or pack and the stick and the big turbo engine and all that and use this base truck to basically slam all your modifications into, which is great. But then you get up into the, uh, what is it? The Black Diamond. Uh, there's the the big bend um they there's there's another trim that i'm missing uh which i can't remember the name of there's it it just it doesn't really make it super clear in each of those what's missing and what's being added um i think the only one i can think of is big bend is like hey we got leather versus uh black diamond which has like these uh like wetsuit material seats with some vinyl inserts and you know all being said, I think, you know, all those seats, if you're using the vehicle as it's supposed to be driven, you're going to want the cheaper, more basic stuff. Uh, the leather stuff, you know, obviously Big Bend is definitely more of a luxury model and it wants to be that way, so let it do it. Um, but on the lower trims, it's just really messy between what's cloth, what's not, yada, yada, yada. Um, and that's really my only complaint. Now, pause for a moment on the Ford Bronco pricing story and we're going to roll in the bit about the Defender 110. Now, the Defender 110 has been out for a month or two now here in the United States. I've seen, I think, two on the road so far, which has been very exciting every single time. Uh, the Defender 110 won Motor Trends SUV of the Year for 2020, uh, mostly because, well, it does pretty much everything you want it to do at a, when you spec it correctly, reasonable price. Uh, Motor Trend, the one that they were showing off in their videos and in their magazine, uh, looks like it's a pretty loaded to the gills 110 with the uh, electrically supercharged V6 uh, engine, or sorry, it's a straight six engine, I'm sorry. And, you know, I mean, I'm sure that is a very nice vehicle, uh, but, you know, that thing's also probably running close to $80,000 with the options that are on it. Uh, and that really is a bit of a problem because, you know, the Defender ends up running quite a gamut between the base trim model and the upper trim models in terms of options and niceties and creature comforts and all those things. And it has been really interesting to see Motor Trend just go, hey, here's an award and throw it casually towards Land Rover, all while TFL... Uh, over in Colorado, just bought what they call the cheapest uh, Defender that's been for sale in the United States. 
Uh, basically, the guys at TFL, they want to build their own overlanding special version of the current Defender. So they basically ordered a model with almost nothing on it. I think the only options they put were the uh, necessary off-road packs. I think it's got the, tra the trailer pack. It's got the off-road pack. Uh, it's got the front uh, passenger seat, so it's a six-seater Defender. Um, and it's got the little uh, rear view camera mirror up on the top, and that's it. And so they paid just a hair over 55 grand for it. Uh, it took three months to get it built and shipped from the UK to the United States, and they've had nothing but problems with it uh, since it arrived. I think the last video that they updated, which was today, uh, I believe they showed it had less than 300 miles on the odometer. Uh, they've had two or three different check engine lights. Uh, they've had to replace uh, ignition coils. Uh, I don't know if they did the spark plugs or not. Uh, they've had to uh, also repair a module system that's in it. Uh, so basically, they drove the thing up a mountain to 12,000 feet, uh, did some light off-roading like the second day they had it. Uh, they, <laughs> they got all these engine uh, codes that said that there was a misfire on like two of the four cylinders that are in this vehicle, because they did get the cheap four-cylinder version, by the way. Uh, weren't super confident on whether or not it was running right. Um, it sounded like everything was working fine. Uh, they got out to the dealer. The dealer was like, hey, we, we fixed these things by changing these couple of parts around. Everything's good to go. They took it home, no uh, check engine light, and then all the cameras stopped working in the vehicle. So they, they lost uh, front and rear cameras, the side cameras. Uh, this module thing just completely failed. So they took it back to the dealer. The dealer now has JLR working on this thing to get a fix like as soon as possible. They, they sent out an engineer to take a look at it. They're kind of throwing up their hands. Uh, apparently they're overnighting a module from the UK uh, to Colorado to try to see if that'll change things around. Uh, but then it threw up another engine code. So again, just nothing but issues with this thing. And that that is pretty disappointing because this little four-cylinder engine that's in it has been around for a very long time in a number of Land Rover vehicles. And so you'd think that, you know, it would be totally fine and okay. Uh, but clearly it's not. And, you know, they're getting it fixed. Jaguar Land Rover's taking care of them. You know, that's great. But it really sucks to know that you plunked down $55,000 for what is essentially an oversized paperweight that's not really going anywhere. Um, so anyway, that being said, talking about the Bronco, uh, I wanted to kind of jump back into a discussion that I've had many times on this show, which is what vehicle, what off-road vehicle do you buy uh, heading into 2021. Uh, you've got the Defender, the Motor Trend SUV of the year. You've got the Bronco, which is the fresh-faced new kid uh, that I think has got the internet still abuzz uh, in terms of what it looks like, how it's going to do things off-road, yada, yada, yada. And then you've got the class-leading Wrangler. The Wrangler is still around. Uh, the Wrangler is having its 80th anniversary model this year through Jeep. Uh, the Wrangler is got a fresh new set of engines that you can option uh, inside the thing. The 2-liter turbo is now the standard engine. The 3.6-liter engine is optional. And they now offer the diesel variant, I believe, on most trims. Uh, all in all, you know, as I was looking through these things, as I was building each of the three 
there were a couple of things that I wanted to really make sure that I equipped on each vehicle. Um, like I said before, heated seats are the big, 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 big yes. Every vehicle I must own going forward must have heated seats. So that was there. Um, a locking rear differential. Uh, automatic all-wheel drive systems, just because people are dumb and, you know, having that kind of a thing is a nice thing for some folks. Um, I wanted to make sure that they all had four-cylinder engines. Uh, rock rails seemed like a pretty big deal, as well as tow packages. Uh, and then so that they could be fairly compared against the Land Rover, uh, quote-unquote sealed, quote-unquote hardtops uh, that, you know, help increase the, uh, the uh, NVH quality of the vehicles a little bit and make them a little more usable in day-to-day -day scenarios. Now, the Wrangler 80th Anniversary Package is the one I went with there. Uh, the 80th Anniversary Package, I think, gets a specially trimmed interior. Uh, it adds navigation and a bunch of other weird things in it. Um, more or less, the reason why I went with the 80th Anniversary Edition is because, well, for one, I can't stand all the militarized, bro-y, flag-waving, whatever bullshit Jeep trims that they have. They offer nothing. The packages look like shit. And they're catering to a fan base that is just really gross. So none of those got picked. Uh, it also didn't make a lot of sense to go for the base uh, Sport and Sport S models because uh, you really have to throw on a lot of options to get it close to where the Defender is at. And that really didn't make a whole lot of sense because at the same time, you know, why would you get such a low-trimmed option and spend all that money doing those kinds of things? It's just weird. Uh, I also didn't go Rubicon because Rubicon is overkill uh, in this scenario. Now, that being said, it's probably a more fair comparison to the Defender off-road, but it's not like, you know, the regular Jeeps are, you know, incapable of doing off-roady type things. So, be that as it may, if you want to do your own comparison, you know, jump in wherever you like. But I went with the 80th Anniversary Edition just because it has some more of the niceties uh, like what the Land Rover had. Now, all things considered, options selected that contained what I'm looking for. Uh, we were looking at 48070 for a 2021 Wrangler 80th Anniversary Edition. Uh, not a terrible price. 50 grand honestly seems like the going rate for a reasonably well-equipped Wrangler, which is crazy to say because they start under 30 grand. <laughs> Um, you know, you could definitely get a pretty nice day-to-day -day Wrangler with some of these things for a lot less. Um, but that being said, these things also don't lose their value really at all for the first couple of years that you have it. Um, so you could definitely buy one, trade it in after three years, get most of your money out of it, uh, and roll on into something else if you change your mind. Uh, I did build a Bronco and we went with the Bronco Black Diamond four-door, again, hard top package, uh, auto all-wheel drive system, locking rear diffs, heated seats, all those fun things. Uh, we ended up with a price of 44820 Four grand less than the Wrangler. Now, the Wrangler does have some niceties in it that the Bronco doesn't have, like the navigation system. Basically, with the Bronco, add another two grand or so to that, and you can probably get it pretty close in terms of specification to the Wrangler, um, but still, it, it really genuinely feels like the value champion here. Uh, I'm really impressed with the pricing that Ford ended up putting on the Bronco. Uh, I'm really excited to see what it's going to be like to sit in, 
drive and go off-road with uh, because this thing, I think, really is going to eat the Wrangler's lunch here in the United States uh, going forward. Now, the big boy, uh, the one that I personally think I might still be inclined to buy, which we'll talk about in a second, uh, is the 2020 Defender 110 uh, with the four-cylinder. Now, I did a build of this with, uh, you know, splash guards, with the rock rails, with the uh, front, uh, you know, guards for the uh, engine bay, things like that. A lot of those little things don't come standard, and they do come on the Jeep and the Bronco, uh, which adds... I think it was a little over $2,000 in options. So I took them back off because the Defender does have some of this stuff. It's just not quite as good. Um, so the number I'm going to say is also a flexible one like the Bronco if you're trying to compare it to a Wrangler. Uh, as built, 56785 for the Defender 110. Now you could save some money there by getting rid of the... Uh, third seat in the front row. You could save some money there by, you know, picking a color that's white. Um, you could save some money by, you know, doing a couple things. I've built some versions of the Defender that are right around 55 grand, just like TFL. And at 55 grand, you know, you're still, what, more or less 10 grand more than a Bronco. Uh, you're five to eight grand more than a comparable Wrangler. Uh, you're definitely paying a big premium. And now knowing what we know with the troubles that TFL is having with theirs, would I still go that route? Yes. Yes, I would. <laughs> One, uh, because it's still a fully sealed SUV. You know, it's it's one that is going to not be strangely cold or strangely hot in the winter or summertime. Uh, it's one that's going to be much more quiet out on the highway. Uh, I believe the Defender does get a little bit better fuel economy uh, than the Jeep. Uh, the Bronco still has not been tested yet, but I imagine it'll probably be better than the Jeep as well. Uh, the Defender, to me, just feels like a... Hmm, what's a good way to put this? Growing up, I had a family member. Really great lady, it's my Aunt Tenley. She lives in Italy now. Uh, she's doing her thing over there. Love her to pieces. Uh, Aunt Tenley always had this classically wealthy vibe to her. Um, it wasn't necessarily that she was wealthy, but she purchased a lot of secondhand luxury goods, items. Uh, she always just had impeccable taste when it came to her clothes and her stuff that she was doing and like the cars she had like goals life goals for me is to be like my aunt tenley and to me the defender 110 is my aunt tenley as a car it is a car that is extremely capable in as many situations as possible uh it it is a wealthy luxury good but if you price it right, I think it really fits the bill. And here's the other thing. Uh, 2021, Land Rover is making the air suspension an option on the Defender. So you will be able to take that off. Now, the question is, how much money do you actually end up saving uh, with you know that not being there? The Defender 90, uh, the shorter wheelbase version, the two-door option, I think is four grand cheaper than the long one, the 110. Uh, 
it's kind of hard to judge there because the base Defender 90 does not have an air suspension. Um, and I don't remember what the option cost is to get it. I think it's 1400 bucks. For some reason, that number is standing out to me as I hold a piece of paper to my head. Um, I could be wrong. Go do some research. I'm sure you can find it. It's not nothing. So again, you know, taking another, we'll call it 1500 bucks out of the price of the Defender 110, you know, that's still... 54-ish thousand dollars if you sparse out your uh your your options in the right way and you know that's still more expensive and I think I can forgive the weird quality quibbles that TFL's having um by the time we get to the second or third model year um it just really seems like a vehicle where if you're gonna buy it you're gonna keep it for a long time Assuming that it's more reliable, because it should be more reliable uh, in later years, uh, I, I just feel like it's like a thing that you could drive for 10 or 12 years, never really think about, go off-road, go out for big highway trips, do all these different things, uh, versus, you know, a Wrangler that's going to shatter your bones or, you know, make your eardrums pop with how loud it is on the interior. Now, granted, I know some people who have Wranglers, they love them, they think they're great, they don't mind it, that's fine by me. I think I would go batshit crazy with how loud it is, uh, even on a trip across the state to Detroit. No thank you. Uh, the Bronco, I think, is going to be pretty good. We'll see. Um, but yeah, I just, I need that civility. So yeah, it's still a Defender to me, and I guess it does ultimately make sense why uh, Motor Trend picked it as their SUV of the year. Well, anyway, all of that being talked about, um, I just wanted to kind of update you on the Volt. Uh, we've had the Volt for, let's see, I bought it in July, so August, September, it's now October, so we've had it for three months. Uh, I believe the running total on gas since July has been uh, just under 50 bucks. Uh, I've driven a little over 3,000 miles, I believe, since then, uh, or right around 3,000 miles, so... I believe the average mile, miles per gallon, at least the last two times I've checked, has been a little over 120 miles per gallon. So I am using the gasoline motor once in a while. Uh, it's been, you know, all things considered, pretty good. I've been in a pretty good groove with uh, keeping the car charged. I've been in a pretty good groove with knowing when to get gas. Uh, I've been in a pretty good groove of, you know, avoiding certain roads that I know suck up energy and, you know, going on ones that are a little more uh, EV friendly. But we have had some weird hiccups, uh, first of which is what I did today. Uh, I noticed last night that one of my headlights uh, was out, and I think my headlight's actually been out for a little while. Uh, the car has this weird setup with the headlights where they are, um, they are projector beam headlights, so it's basically just a regular bulb and a fancy little thing that, you know, helps shoot more light out in a nice way. Um, I did upgrade the bulbs to a slightly brighter set, but they're not uh, the nasty LED insane stuff that everybody seems to be doing these days because I'm not here for that. Uh, but like I had to do this weird thing in the engine bay where on the passenger side, I basically had to lift the airbox out of its mounting point and it's got these little rubber gaskets that let it actually come out fairly easily um, but you basically have to pull all this weird stuff apart just to get to the headlight and uh it was definitely interesting to say the least uh doing that but the headlight bulbs are actually kind of pricey uh it was 60 bucks uh for a pair which 
I don't think I've ever had to do with a car before. I think my Fiesta for two bulbs was maybe $30, if even that. And I think those also had some uh, a kind of weird projector type setup going on as well. So that was very strange. Now, granted, I can't really complain because BMWs and Audis are probably two times that with some of the new setups that they have now. Uh, but, you know, definitely a little trip, definitely a little weird thing to have noticed. Uh, I also uh, have been very frustrated with the uh, parking sensors on my car. They they either seem like they are too picky or they're not picky enough. Um, and so the other night I accidentally bumped into something. Uh, it was weird. It was dark. It was raining. Um, I've got a little scuff on the back of the car. I was able to get it off. Um, so you really can't notice it, but there is like this weird little... Um, I'm gonna call it a crack, and it's not actually a crack, but there's like this little splinter uh, in the paint where I can tell the paint got a little damaged, and it sucks, it's whatever, it happens, especially in Michigan and in the wintertime, so, you know, I I can't be too mad. Um, but it buffed out for the most part, um, other than like a little bit of, of a dark mark that I can't quite get, so is what it is. That's a thing. Uh, but speaking of winter and weird and wet weather, which kind of had this happen, um, yeah, it uh, it's different driving an electric car in the wet. Uh, we had a pretty massive rainstorm come through the other day, and I happened to be on lunch uh, coming back uh, from getting lunch, actually, and I was slowing to uh, come up to a stop sign. And the car had hit like a succession of bumps. Uh, and the road was also very wet because it was raining very hard. And the car suddenly stopped doing regenerative braking uh, and informed me that it was in a low traction scenario and basically automatically switched from, you know, regenerative braking, my foot kind of lightly on the brake, to full on brakes, which scared the shit out of me, to be honest. Uh, where basically the regenerative braking stops, uh, it, it switches to brake mode, and it kind of like jumps almost uh, on the brake. Uh, I have kind of sort of had it happen one other time, uh, but I've only ever noticed it when it's been cold and when it's been wet. And if you're uh, not from Michigan, cold and wet is basically October and November. So we'll keep an eye on it. We'll drive uh, carefully in these kinds of scenarios as they continue to happen. Um, and we'll kind of report in as things go on. But yeah, I'm just keeping an eye on different things and just kind of noticing weird traits that the car seems to have. Uh, the other big thing is, of course, you know, cold weather performance. Uh, today it was in the mid-30s when I went out to the car uh, to go get breakfast for my partner and I. Uh, I think the car had an indicated range of uh, 16 or 17 miles uh, when I left the house and by the time I had gotten back home on, I think it's just under a two-mile drive, uh, I had eaten up, I think, a little over four miles. So the car is working pretty hard to warm up. I've yet to figure out what temperature is the best setting uh, for the interior to not only keep it, you know, reasonably warm inside the vehicle, uh, but also, you know, where the heated seats need to best be at. Uh, to be able to do things. I think a lot of this could definitely be solved if I left the car plugged in overnight, but living in an apartment complex, uh, you don't really get a chance to, uh, well, just use a plug willy-nilly whenever you want. 
Um, I still haven't heard back from my apartment complex with the last message that I had left them. Um, that was an email, which is kind of weird. I'm wondering if something happened with the emails system because it was acting funny. But nevertheless, we'll get it addressed at some point. Um, so, yeah, that is the Volt update for month number three. Well, anyway, guys, it is a Saturday. I hope you are enjoying your weekend. Uh, do some things while the weather is still nice around you. Uh, and yeah, we will see you uh, very soon on another episode of the show. Uh, I don't know what's going on in terms of car news and car culture these days. Uh, we're kind of hitting what normally would be the lead up to the Los Angeles Auto Show, but obviously with COVID-19 and everything else happening, uh, yeah, that's not happening this year. So uh, be safe, make good decisions, don't do anything you can't do on the back of the horse, and uh, make sure you go out and vote. If you can vote early, do so. Um, if you haven't dropped off your mail-in ballot, go do that in person. Otherwise, remember to vote on November 3rd. Uh, we will see you at the polls because I'm going to go vote in person on uh, voting day just because it feels like it's uh, the smart thing to do. Anyway, guys, enjoy the rest of your weekend, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Salvage Title Podcast.